get me. From Studio A in Arcata, behind the Redwood Curtain, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Clips, the original comedy soundcast featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And here's your host from up the coast, practically unknown outside of comedy soundcasting, comedy soundcast soundcaster, Tyson Saner. Saluton, estes me, Tyson Saner, your host for the duration of this extra-stuffed edition of Succotash the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast. Thank you for deciding to choose us for the next bit of listening entertainment in your life. On the topics of life and decisions, I'd like to point out how the two are inexorably entwined. Life is full of decisions. Sometimes I have to make the agonizing choice of doing anything other than spending time with my newborn son. As a result, most of the work I get done is at night when he's sleeping. That's my decision to make, and I happily make it. I've also decided to make an entire episode comprised of clips that were found with the help of the Laughable app, not a sponsor, because it helped me find some fantastic shows to clip for you this episode. I've got clips from Getting Better with Ron Funches, Oprah's Masterclass, the podcast, CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Pauley, the Mike Lupica podcast, Congratulations with Chris D'Elia, and the New Yorker Radio Hour. I've also got a double dose of Raging Moderate Will Durst's Bursa Durst segment. I'll be reading another selection from our wonderful fake sponsor, TrumpPoetry.com. And in this episode, we introduce a special new segment from our very own executive producer, Mark Hershon, called Let's Review. So, without delaying the proceedings any longer, let's get to the show, shall we? Opening the show tonight with our first burst of Durst from Raging Moderate Will Durst. This one is from April 12th of 2019. It is called The White Man Problem, in which our intrepid correspondent bemoans the state of the Democratic Party in general and white men in specific. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about the Democrats and their fairly significant white man problem. Multiple white man problems, actually. One is that Democrats are finding it harder to get the votes of white men than vegan hot dog vendors have selling their wares at a Wyoming rodeo. Only 34% of white men voted for Hillary, which is approximately the same percentage that would vote for a yellow dog. Another problem is that some Democrats are being anything but discreet talking about not wanting their next presidential candidate to be another white man. And, to complicate matters, the two folks leading all the polls right now are Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, who are not just white men, but extremely old white men. On election night 2020, Biden and Sanders will have trod this earth a cumulative 156 years, which would come in handy if history starts to repeat itself because either one could alert the rest of us. Joe hasn't officially entered the race yet, and Bernie isn't really a Democrat, but the two of them control 55% of the latest polls. Throw in Pete Bootygig and Beto O'Rourke, and you got white men hogging the polling with 70% of likely voters. Bootygig, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, gets a white man pass because he's gay, and Beto is not just the hot new thing, he's the hot new Texas thing. And the prospects of winning the Lone Star State has the party drooling like the aforementioned yellow dog on a summer day at high noon. Since 44 of the 45 presidents thus far have been white men, it would seem many people are conditioned to think they make the best president. Although you got to admit, the current office holder is testing the limits of that presumption, along with white supremacy. For Succotash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, I'm Will Durst. All right, so, take you back a little bit. After listening to Hannah Gadsby's episode of Monsters of Talk, a now-defunct soundcast hosted by Margaret Cho and Jim Short, I really wanted to find a soundcast that featured some more conversation with Margaret Cho. Thanks to the Laughable app, I found Getting Better with Ron Funches, hosted by Ron Funches. So its description reads, Actor, comedian, writer Ron Funches sits down every week to talk about his life, passions, hobbies, and how he is on a constant journey to better himself. Bless you, Jareth. Margaret Cho sat down with him. The show is from quite recently, April 1st of 2019. And its description says, Today, I give my weekly affirmation, and then I sit down with Margaret Cho. We talk about her time on The Masked Singer, American Girl, being the first Asian family on TV, turning 50, and how she's getting better. And in this clip, Laugh-In is discussed, as well as guest Margaret Cho's early comic role models. 
well as her current favorite comedy personalities. Recently, you you did the Mad Singer. You did the uh, we were both at that laughing taping. Yeah, you have a good time there. Did you enjoy? Yeah, it? it was fun. It was such a trip to see all of uh, the people. Well, I mean, I know I know um, Lily personally. She's great, but it's always great to see her. And then, but it was really awesome to see like Ruth Buzzy and Joanne Worley. And that was really cool. I, I did. I watched Laughing um, like in the later years on Nick at Night. Mm-hmm. So I probably ended up watching it more so like in the nineties than um, when it was actually on. Yeah, same. Uh, so it was, it, but it was great to see them. Yeah, it's fun. That was the part for me where I really, because um, it was like very chaotic, mm-hmm. and I did not know what I was doing. But mm-hmm. then I found out that nobody knew. Nobody what they knew. Were doing. And then there was a, there was a piece with that. Yeah, and maybe like, the show, maybe the show when they were filming it in the sixties was like that. I think that they they were just kind of like doing whatever. Which is great, you know, to have that kind of freedom. No, I liked it. And yeah. I liked it just, again, to be in a room with people where I'm like, oh, I like, I grew up watching you. Or even like with Lily Tomlin, it was like, my mom likes you. Right, You right. know, and that's who my mom freaked out about. So it. great. Yeah, she's wonderful. It was really, it's really exciting to see her. Like I, um, when I was doing comedy, uh, when I started in, um, and came to LA, you would actually see a lot of those people a lot more. Like I remember going to events with like Milton Berle and um, Steve Allen mm. and all of those people who are still alive then, you know, you, you would catch a glimpse of these like showbiz, like greats that were, you know, still kind of around doing comedy, like things like events. Um, and so there's so much less of that now, I think, because all those people are so so much older. But I think it's so weird when you were watching like the 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 clips of laugh and they they look so young, mm-hmm. and it's so funny. It's like wow, that is really great that they've lived their life doing this. Yeah, it's really. And then what I really liked for me was um, some of them who hadn't performed much lately. Mm-hmm. You know, them getting the that 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 stage again and seeing how excited they were and how how much they didn't want to leave yeah stage. which is great yeah. which is great it's i mean a reminder. I it's incredible because yeah. they've all like pretty much except for lily hasn't retired lily's still like really going strong but well like ruth i mean she's just i i she's done so much i mean if you watched a lot of like saturday morning television too she was always on those kinds of like kids shows mm-hmm forever and doing a million things so it's like she's had such a long career can we talk about um who who i'm going both both ways i want to go back and like who who inspired you to get into comedy and what did you like when you were younger and i want to know who do you really like now that mm-hmm. that, that that you find and then oh then i'll ask another question later okay okay um who i got who i really liked when i was younger well i absolutely worship SCTV Mm. like that was like amazing like I think um Eugene Levy you know like that that their whole crew like uh they they were just so good they were so funny and I love old SNL too um I always loved Gene Wilder and I love like my I think the ultimate was watching when Joan Rivers actually hosted SNL Mm -hmm. in 1981 that really changed my whole life. And I was like, I'm going to be a comedian. When I saw that, I was like, that was that was it. And of course, I love Richard Pryor. Um, Richard Pryor, I didn't fully understand, I think, until I was pretty well into adulthood. You know, I never really got everything because it was just kind of too, it was too adult. And then when I realized, because like, I, was, I was that things were funny, but, you know, I liked things that were more innocent, like Mudbone and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. as opposed to the really hard stuff about setting himself on fire that like such an incredible set when he's talking about that you know and and how brave it is and that that using that as comedy is really it's it's impressive you know really incredible but um i didn't appreciate it i think until later when i did drugs that i (laughs) (laughs) I was like oh yeah then you get it more but it 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 really made a huge impact on me. Um, I get how you could set yourself on fire. <laughs> I guess I now I see. <laughs> it just went over my head before, but it's like that that kind of stuff. Um, I got to meet Richard Pryor and uh, know him through Rain Pryor, his daughter, and then um, I later got to interview him. And he it was it was hard because he was uh, 
this was really close to when he died. And so he was in the wheelchair and it was very hard for him to move or speak. And, you know, it was it was devastating to see him like that mm. just because in my mind, him and his youth, it just he was so powerful and just could do anything. So it was really shattering to see him just affected so much by that disease. Um, but I think, yeah, but probably the most important role model would be uh, Joan Rivers. She really helped me a lot. And then I became friends with her and she was so uh, gracious and, and, and kind and fun and just a wonderful person to to just to, to know um, who I like now. Well, I like you. Okay, yeah, you're very funny. Um, I love. I I, I really love Tignataro. Um, I uh, love uh, uh, Brett Brett Weinbach. He's mm-hmm. so weird, and I'm like, what is going? Like, I I get really like into it. Like, mm-hmm. what is happening? And I I really want to know. Um, I think. Uh, I like that he's just truly a weird person. Yeah. He doesn't own like he doesn't even own a phone. Yeah. It's fun. It's great. Yeah. It's great. It's like people should be like that. It's mm-hmm. like people should just it, it it's just it, it it's like we have very few true eccentrics in the world. Um because everybody uses their eccentricity in kind of a, a very calculated manner mm. and in a way to, they like to be a brand. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. It's not a brand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one thing. I yeah. I I try to be very conscious about. It. It's one thing I hate. Like I don't like it when because now people will actively be like, well, that does that doesn't go with my brand. And I'm like, well, this is my life, and whatever yeah. I want to do mm-hmm. is my life. Yeah. And and I don't have to worry if that fits into what your preconceived notion of me is or what you think a brand is. Mm-hmm. But I would rather just like this sounds like fun fun to me why not do it you can reach out to ron funches on twitter at ron funches that is capital r-o-n capital f-u-n-c-h-e-s margaret show at at margaret show all lowercase m-a-r-g-a-r-e-t-c-h-o the show can be reached on twitter at getting better pod that is capital g-e-t-t-i-n capital b-e-t-t-e-r capital p-o-d and you can find tickets to Ron Funches Australia tour, which is now on sale at www.ronfunches.com. There's also merch. That is www.ronfunches.com. Next up, Oprah's Masterclass, the podcast. Hear the greatest life lessons of some of the most respected and renowned actors, musicians, public figures, and athletes. Handpicked by Oprah, these luminaries reveal their lives with candor and insight. In their own words, listen as Jay-Z, Justin Timberlake, Ellen DeGeneres, Shaquille O'Neal, Reba McIntyre, Dwayne Johnson, and Jane Fonda, just to name a few, share what they've learned about life and their own insights into their personal stories. Our clip tonight is from episode posted April 3rd, 2019, where her guest is Whoopi Goldberg. Description says, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony-winning actress, TV host, and stand-up comic Whoopi Goldberg talks candidly about her childhood in New York City her most valuable life lessons, and her defining screen roles. Whoopi explains how she landed her two most iconic roles, Seely in The Color Purple and Otome Brown in Ghost. She shares how she learned to accept success and open up the doors of opportunity in her life. Whoopi also describes the moment she made peace with her mother's death. In this clip, Whoopi discusses her mother's approach to parenting. The person who taught me, I think, the best parts of me is my mom. I wasn't a uh, particularly popular kid, but I was with the group that wasn't particularly popular. And we went on a class trip, and I had a great friend called Robert, really good guy, and he, he wasn't popular either. But for some reason, this trip that we went on, I was with them. I was popular for that day. So I treated my friends quite poorly because I was one of the popular kids. So. so at the end of the day, when... My mom and I are, are home. She said, did you have a good day? Did you have a good time at this thing? I said, yeah, I was really, I had a really good time. It's really great. And so-and-so was really cool to me and blah, blah, blah. And my mom said, how do you think Robert's day was? And I said, well, that, it was probably okay. She said, oh, okay, if you think so. And I knew what she was talking about. I hadn't treated my friend well and... I did what the popular kids did to me and just high-handed him, you know, and high-handed all of 
the unpopular kids in whose company I spent most of my youth. And I, I said I, was, I wasn't very nice to Robert. And she said, no, you weren't. She said, maybe he'll be your friend tomorrow. She talked to him. And when I tell you that that, that was one of the, for me, one of the most powerful lessons, because it's still hard to talk about, you know, because I, I hurt my friend and made him feel the way other people had made me feel. My mom was an extraordinary woman because she was a listener. She listened and she was a watcher. And I can't imagine where I got it from. I remember I told my mom I was going to go see the Nutcracker with some friends. And she said, okay, just make sure you clean your room. And I said, okay. And then she went to do what she was going to do. And I was sort of, you know, moving things. And then there's like a, a bad whoopee popped up. And the bad whoopee was like, why are we spending all this time cleaning up? She, we'll be home before she is. Or pff, leave it. She'll never, we'll have it clean before she gets there. And then the good whoopee was like, I wouldn't do that. I, I would clean up if I were you. And so me and the, the bad whoopee, you know, flicked the good whoopee away. And I went to see the Nutcracker. Sat through it. I loved it. I, I just love it. You know, the tree grew, the mouse grew, the whole thing happened, and the nut sugar plum It was a, and it was great. And then I got back on the bus and to come home, and I'm sort of walking home, and I'm thinking about and I get in the elevator to go upstairs, and I go upstairs, and I'm still in my ballet mood, and I go to my door, and I go in my pocket to get the key. And it's not in my pocket. I can't get in, and my mom's going to be home any minute, and the room is not cleaned. And then I see the elevator, and there she is. And she gets off, and she looks, and she smiles, and I smile, you know, because now I'm sweating. And she says, hi. And I go, hi. And she says, what are you doing out here? I said, I forgot my key. I don't know where it is. She said, well... Did you have a good time at the Nutcracker? I was like, oh, I had a great time. The entire time now, I'm trying to get around her. I was trying to beat my mother into the house, run to the back room, clean up my room really fast before she got in, you know. So I'm, I'm trying to get around her, and I'm sweating. And she, I, I realize now that she knew. Of course she knew. And so she takes off her coat, and she says, how you doing? I thought, oh, it's great. It's great, 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 great. She said, everything okay? I said, yeah, yeah, everything's great. She said, you clean your room? And I meant to say, no, ma'am, I didn't. I didn't do it. But instead, my head goes, yes, yes, I cleaned the room. <laughs> I'm thinking, idiot, idiot. Oh, my God. And she says, well, I'm so glad to hear it. And she said, do you want something to drink? And I said, no, no, I just, I just want to go to my room. And she said, well, just sit down and talk to me for a minute. Now, it's like horrifying. And then she says to me again, oh, did I ask you, Karen, did, did you clean your room? And I, I mean again to say, no, I did not. And I realized that what's happening is my head is going up and down and it's too down. <laughs> <laughs> and she's saying, well, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go to your room. Now, you, you did clean it, right? And I was like, yes, yes, I did. And I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And she says, good. And she walks to the back. And then she walks back up. And she looks at me and she said, I didn't see where you cleaned your room. And I was like, what happened was I was, and then I was going to go in, and I just, and, I got, and when I tell you, she was really mad at me. She wasn't mad at me because I didn't clean my room. She wasn't mad at me because I had BS'd her. She was mad at me because my story was bad, and it was too easy to prove. And her feeling was, if you're going to lie, make an effort. She, you know, she was she was pretty pissed, and so she like, beat my behind. And I understood that, you know, 
If you're going to do it, you better make it interesting. You better make it so interesting people don't want to hit you afterwards. You can reach out to Whoopi Goldberg on Twitter. That is at Whoopi Goldberg at capital H-O-O-P-I, capital G-O-L-D-B-E-R-G. Oprah Winfrey can be reached on Twitter at capital O-P-R-A-H. Oprah Winfrey Network is on Twitter at all caps O-W-N-T-V. And you can go to www.oprah.com and find the app for the masterclass. There's also a YouTube component at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash O-W-N. Third up tonight, CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Pauley from radio.com. Its description reads, CBS Sunday Morning is the top-rated Sunday morning news program in all the key demos and features stories on the arts, music, nature, entertainment, sports history, science, Americana, and highlights unique human accomplishments and achievements. The clip is from May 27th of 2018, including stories Seeing Green, Celebrities Selling Marijuana, Back to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, 1968 Laugh-In Comedy That Defined the Times, and in uh, the segment I was looking for, in which Steve Martin and Martin Short are featured, two amigos on tour, Lee Cowan hosts this part of the soundcast. Now, I was specifically looking to clip that segment, yes, because two of my all-time favorite funny people are Steve Martin and Martin Short. So, so I did. Here you go. We are the three amigos. We are the three amigos. It's Sunday morning on CBS. And here again is Lee Cowan. The 1986 comedy Three Amigos put Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Chevy Chase on horseback for a Wild West adventure. Well, now those first two Amigos, the ones with Martin in their names, are together again and sharing some laughs with our Tony DeCoco. Yeah, well, I don't need it. It's just two hours before their show in Grand Rapids, Michigan, gets underway. Can you give me something to remember you by? Hepatitis wasn't enough! Oh, Caroline, Caroline. And even though Steve Martin and Martin Short are used to getting laughs, they're busy working and reworking their material. What's your favorite scene in one of her movies? Let me show you. Oh, okay. Oh, I have a feeling that this is going to be too much, that you should end just with you guys. The thing about comedy is that you're always this close to failure. So the moment you become arrogant, you just, all you have to do is wait. So the fear of failing or the fear of bombing is as intense and acute today as it was your very first time. I don't think it's fear. I think it's like saying to the pilot, why do you always check those buttons every time you fly? You've been flying for 20 years. <laughs> That's what you do. All we ask is you want us. We'll give you our thanks. Their show, An Evening You Will Forget for the Rest of Your Life, now touring nationally and streaming on Netflix. You know, Steve and I are like Donnie and Marie without the sexual tension. (laughs) Is a mix of self-mockery. Your comedy was so effortless. Ah, thank you. And I kept thinking, I wonder how it'd be if you put a little effort into it. (laughs) And clever nods to their classic skits. Your teeth are so white. Your smile is like an email from Grandma. All caps. We can walk off stage, literally, just edge into the curtain, and we'll turn to each other and say, that one joke, it should come actually before the old right. thing. We'll do that, and I have to have an idea, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That revising immediately, right, in the wings. Well, that's when you can remember it. <laughs> yeah. No one would blame Martin Short at 68 or Steve Martin at 72 if they did coast a little bit. With a slew of awards. How'd you get so funky? Plenty of memorable sketches. A perfectly good day ruined, right? Wrong. Not with Ronco's new shower in a briefcase. And nearly Marie. 90 movies between Marie. them. Here, boy. Marie! Marie! They're not out to prove anything. This is about two friends having fun. Through the years you've made me grin. What's it like getting around together at this? Oh, it's great fun. We it's have great, great fun. fun. Other day I said to Marty, thank God we're not exploiting our friendship. <laughs> and, but the truth is, we're friends, but you know, we don't talk every day. We don't, I don't call him at 8 a.m. Hey, what happened? Steve, I think, feels very close to me, and I view him <laughs> as a cash cow. 
do you think of your insults together or you write them individually? Go ahead. <laughs> do you think of your insults for each other? Well, we work on them together. together. And by yeah. the way, sometimes we'll swap them. We'll think, no, yeah. I, that's a better insult to you. Yeah. So you have Theirs to is a story that dates back some 30 years when they first met while making the movie Three Amigos. I'm Lucky Day. I'm Ned Niederlander. I'm Dusty Bottom. So together we're the Three Amigos. <laughs> I just remember thinking, I like this guy. And I'm walking to the set, and, and I hear behind me <laughs> Catherine Hepburn saying, Where's my bicycle? <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> no, he does it great. And, and that made me... I wish I brought my bicycle. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> from there, they built largely separate careers, aside from the memorable Father of the Bride movies. I suggest that we select the cack first. Okay. Because the cack more often determine what kind of wedding that you end up having. So let's just choose the cack, okay? But in 2010, after Short's wife of 30 years, Nancy Dolman, died of cancer, Steve Martin was one of the friends who understood that in his mourning, Martin Short might benefit from keeping busy. The next summer, they appeared together on stage for the first time. I took a time off, and then I realized that being busy was normalcy. Yeah. So, you know, if I was home, it seemed like, where's Nan? But if I was in a hotel room in Boston getting ready, that was the norm. How important was he to you in that time? You rely on, on your friends and your family and time and your intellect. But certainly all my friends were valuable, and Steve was one of them. By the way, Martin Short is also the name I use when I check into a hotel and want to be anonymous. Now, you might call them a regular twosome. 35 years later, and you're still the jerk. <laughs> of course, it's a funny time to be funny in America. In this politically correct era, some of those early SNL sketches can be seen as bad form. Our top story tonight. It's very tricky. And, you know, I, I, I kind of fall in line with a, a lot of the uh, corrections in language. I, I, I think it's good. There are bits from your past and your past that I don't think you could do today. And many of your colleagues have done bits that I don't think would fly today. I, I think, you know, Steve and I slightly share a difference in this. <laughs> I don't care. I think it's way so ridiculously overreactive now. And so I think you have to be your own barometer and know what is correct or not. Five more minutes to kill. Five more minutes to kill. Fortunately for these two old pros, What's funny is funny, plus a lot of fun. I'm not motivated, at least right now, to write a play or this or that. I'm, I'm motivated by this. I really like this. I don't think because you're 68 you have to, goodbye. You know, I'm not, I don't think you do that. I might win an Oscar. By the way, that was beautiful, and we should put that in the show. Thank you. Goodbye. I might win an Oscar at 78. I might, you know, I, don't, I can't predict. Unless I was either physically unable or I actually dreaded going to work. I can't ever imagine stopping, and I would hate to think, I'd like to think that I was the best version of myself on the last day of my life as a performer. That's clear. You still love it. Yes. Yeah, we I actually do. My friend Steve Martin. My friend Martin Short. Now, Martin Short does not appear to be on Twitter. You can reach out to Steve Martin at Steve Martin to go That is capital S-T-E-V-E. Capital M-A-R-T-I-N, capital T-O, capital G-O. Lee Cowan can be reached at capital L-E-E, -E, capital C-O-W-A-N, capital C, capital B, capital S. Jane Polly can be reached on Twitter at Real Jane Polly, capital R-E-A-L, capital J-A-N-E, capital P-A-U-L-E-Y. And the show can be reached at CBS Sunday. That is all caps C-B-S and then capital S for U-N-D-A-Y. And you can find the show at www.radio.com. This episode of Succotash is sponsored in part by TrumpPoetry.com, a chronological ode to a fake muse. Enjoy a rhyming spin on the news of the day every day, as well as over 500 archived daily verses thoroughly covering the White House, America, and the world with a sticky caramel coating that's impossible to remove. That's TRUMPoetry.com. Everything you need to know in rhyming couplets. TrumpPoetry.com. Dot com.
All right, Jareth has fallen off to sleep. So now it is time to read a couple segments from TrumpPoetry.com. So in reviewing the page uh, TrumpPoetry.com while attempting to figure out what I was going to read for the show, I realized I had missed the two-year anniversary, which happened on March 17th of 2019, day 675. So I thought I'd read that one and then something more modern just to bring us up to speed because it's in fact Uno de Mayo today. Anyway, here we are with number 675 celebrating two years of TrumpPoetry.com. Two years ago, upon this very day, I started with a rather simple verse. Then daily wrote of world events perverse. In all that time, there wasn't much to say. Some houses burned, some famous people died, some 36 Trump cronies got indicted. Flyover states saw cities grow more blighted. White guys with guns mass murdered for their pride. The rich got more while workers took a hit. Our press and whistleblowers paid quite dearly. We witnessed stacked courts shifting right so clearly while politicians spewed their same old shit. Brown kids were put in cages. Glaciers dwindled. Big Pharma grew while sickly folks got swindled. And blameless souls in countries far away were killed by weapons made in USA. Atop it all, just watching with a shrug, our president, this graceless, tone-deaf thug. And then it says, help celebrate Trump Poetry's second anniversary. Share it with your commie, libtard, snowflake friends. We don't make the news. We just make it rhyme. Thanks for checking us out. XOXO. And our second one is from May 1st, 2019, number 610. When his facts and findings got bent, Bob Mueller expressed his dissent. Barr misled the nation with his cliff notes summation. What he said there was not what he meant. Short and sweet. All right, so we'll see what happens next in the news as of this point out, because uh, I have no idea. Next up, let's review from executive producer Mark Hershon. I'll let the segment speak for itself. Roll it. Let's review. Let's review. Let's review. Let's review. Howdy, hey there, Succotashians, and welcome to the first Let's Review. This is Mark Hirsch on the executive producer of Succotash. One of the things I've been doing for the past six or seven years is reviewing comedy soundcasts online. First for SplitSider.com and HuffPost, and now for Vulture.com, where I am part of the review crew for their This Week in Comedy podcast column. Notice they still use the P word instead of soundcast, but let's not hold that against them. Succotash host Tyson Saner and I were talking about trying uh, out this idea of turning my written reviews into a form for use on the show. Hence, let's review. So I've selected two to record for you this particular show. I'll tell you what I think of a recent episode, and I'll pop in a tiny snippet from that show along the way. Ready? Here goes. Let's review. First up's a show called Girls Gotta Eat entitled When You Know, You Know, with guest Eden Grinchpan. Now, I'm not sure what I was expecting when I downloaded the latest episode of Girls Gotta Eat. Hadn't listened to it before. It features co-hosts Raina Greenberg and Ashley Hazeltine, but it turns out they have an avid following, so I popped the earbuds in and cranked up the volume. Most soundcasts I listen to tend to undermodulate their sound for some reason. You know, a lot of people listen in their car, and it's hard to hear if you don't have that master sound cranked all the way up. And I, I am forever straining to hear those shows, or maybe I'm just getting old. Whoa, these ladies are plenty loud, and they're funny as well. Hazeltine's a stand-up, and Greenberg's a writer, so that track's okay. They motor through the early going of this episode, recapping a trio of recent live shows they did in New York, and talking about one jerky guy in particular. Also, some foodstuffs. Those seem to be the two driving topics of their shows, guys and food. Then they welcome their guest, which appropriately enough is the super empowered co-owner of Dez, that's D-E-Z, short for dessert, an eatery in New York. Eden Grinchpan also hosts the Canadian edition of Top Chef. Her success in the marriage department has the hosts falling all over each other to get her secret as to how she's been blissfully with the same handsome guy for eight years, along with a beautiful daughter. Her answer is a little surprising. She and her hubby got engaged within a couple of months of meeting. And then he came back from Israel and we went grocery shopping the day we got back, like early in the morning. He insisted he wanted to make me shakshuka so Israeli. 
Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm making shakshuka. Yeah. So we go to the grocery store and he proposed to me in the grocery store what that the day. Fuck? Like the, he landed. He landed. <laughs> he landed. What? He landed at five in the morning. We went grocery shopping and I think he proposed to me at like 930. No. What, what aisle were you in? I was in front of the eggplant. Of course. <laughs> of course I, like vegetables. Like, would he have like a ring? Have a like ring? a full yeah. on ring? He got the ring made during that week in Israel. I know. It's crazy. And did you think this is so wild or you were like, you finally? No, 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 no. Took you long enough. No, 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 no. I was like, I was in complete shock. I was, I had no, I was in complete shock. Like, I remember being like, like my, my jaw was on the floor. Yeah. And before I could say anything, a woman, this is so New York, walks by and she's like, oh my God, is he proposing to you? And I'm like. And I didn't even like see the ring. I didn't see he like the rings out. I don't see anything. I'm like shocked. She's like, it's 930 in the morning and you're blocking the eggplants. I know. She's like, get out of the way. But they didn't get married for another year and a half. She credits the commitment with the ring included that up the ante to help them settle their differences along the way instead of taking the easy way out and just calling it quits. The girls closed the show with email from listeners under the heading Psycho or Power Move, all about what those <laughs> those ladies writing in did to get back at some douchebag dudes. Uh, here's a little bit of a side note, by the way. These two do some of the best commercial segues that I think I've heard in podcasting since I've been uh, reviewing them and doing Succotash. They're so skillfully folded into the show that the commercials are halfway through before you realize the guest isn't recording it with them they've somehow managed to make it sound as if it's all happening at the same time real pro stuff that's girls gotta eat available in all the usual podcast places itunes stitcher uh they're on spotify and they have a, a actually a very nice website as well and that's at girls eat.com so uh, check that out let's review The second soundcast I have for you in this segment of Let's Review is Inside Conan, a relatively new show. Uh, The guests for this episode were Andy Blitz, Jose Arroyo, and uh, the hosts also answered listener questions. Hosted by Conan staff writers Mike Sweeney and Jesse Gaskell, Inside Conan looks behind the scenes and around the staff of funny folks that have been helping late-night host Conan O'Brien breathe life into monologues, gags, and life itself for the past 25 years. Now, their main guest on the Soundcast this week, Andy Blitz, he no longer works for Conan, but was on staff since the first late-night foray began on NBC. He's also well-known for being a bit of a prankster. Uh, In the show, he says, I'm a bit like George Clooney, he jokes, playing off the stories of uh, Clooney's history of pulling practical jokes on the set. But uh, one legendary Blitz that he gets into was uh, when he had a friend and his wife pretend to be he and his girlfriend to attend the Emmy Awards with the rest of the show's writing staff. Uh, and the replacement blitz looked nothing like the real guy and just rode in the limo with the other staff writers for an hour and pretended to be him and, and hung out at the Emmys. Bizarre. Blitz is often recognized by Conan fans, as well as a member of the Slipnuts, the red-vested musical trio whose act consists entirely of singing their theme song about slipping on nuts. I hate to admit this, but this is, uh, well, this is just, it's embarrassing, is what it is. I don't know how this happened exactly. As you know, the band Slipknot is our musical guest tonight, and they're going to be out here in just a couple of minutes. And you, you know, a lot of people are excited about Slipknot. It's a big group, got a big following. Well, I don't know, I don't know why this happened. It must have been an, an oversight by our talent department that, that books the show. But we also booked a comedy group tonight with a confusingly similar name. They're called the Slip Nuts. <laughs> I really, I apologize for this uh, mishap. And I know you guys want to hear Slip Knot, but something tells me, hey, even you Slip Knot fans are going to be just as enthusiastic about the Slip Nuts. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the wonderful humor of the Slip Nuts. <laughs> We're the slip nuts, slipping on nuts, clowning around and slipping on nuts. We're the slip nuts, slipping on nuts. Loki fell down and slipped on some nuts. What? Is that 
Thanks a lot. Great idea booking us tonight with Slipknot. Yeah, yes. great idea, man. Thank you. Thanks a nice lot. Brilliant. Idiot. Mm-hmm. Also on this episode is current Conan writer Jose Arroyo, who explains how his assignment to a new uh, female writer to do some online porn research for a bit they were doing on the show had been totally legit. He always felt a little bit uncomfortable about that, so he finally comes clean. The hosts get to answer their first listener questions, and they discover along the way that the other's favorite assignment working for Conan involves working with Triumph, the insult comic dog. That's Inside Conan. Also available uh, everywhere fine soundcasts are heard, so check that out when you get a chance. Let's review. So if you're not already, you can follow Mark Hirschhorn on Twitter. I've picked out two specific Twitter addresses. One is Hirschko, which is all lowercase, H-E-R-S-H-C-O. And then the other one is Brand What? which is capital B-R-A-N-D, capital W-H-A-T. I look forward to hearing all subsequent editions of Let's Review. So thank you, Mark Arshon, for all that you do for the program. You are now doing even more. Next up, the Mike Lupica podcast from Compass Media Networks. Its description reads, Mike Lupica, one of the most prominent columnists in America, brings his experience and insider's knowledge, coupled with a provocative presentation that takes an uncompromising look at the tumultuous worlds of professional sports and politics to this weekly podcast. Every week, join Mike and a special guest as they tackle the topics of the day. So yeah, I was looking to see if Larry David appeared on a podcast ever, and it's uh, there are a couple. He certainly came up on the Laughable app, so... From September 21st, 2017, a little bit far back in time, listed on the Laughable app as episode 69, Mike's guest is Larry David. The episode description is brief. It reads, Ready for a new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm? Larry David joined us to talk all about the upcoming season. Check it out here. We're talking to Larry David on the Mike Lupica podcast. Curb Your Enthusiasm finally returns for season nine on Sunday night, October 1st, right? Right. And right. I, you know, I, I should know this, but, you know, but I, I don't. How many years were you away? Was it I six? I think the last time it was on the air was six years ago. Maybe five. I'm not sure. It was five or six. And when you left, when you left, did you think that was it? Or did, was, did, did Richard Plepler and all the guys, at a, obviously they were going to leave the door open. But in your mind, was that the end of Curb? I didn't really know. I kind of thought so that, that that was probably it, but I never ever said it was it because I didn't, I wasn't ready to say that. And it turns out that I, I was right. I couldn't bring myself to say that was it, but I wasn't ready to do it again, obviously. No, I mean, it's, it's, you, you had an amazing run. You know, you, there's a list of people in the history of television who have had, you know, two things you know two things like you've had now you had seinfeld and and you've had this and and there are other stars who have done that but it's an extremely unusual team thing and and here's the thing Larry, the bar had been set pretty high and and you know we've known each other a long time so i, I and and you know you'll you'll allow me to blow a certain amount of smoke at you but the the bar had been set pretty high and and so your standards have to be high and there had to be a party of saying, well, I'm not coming back if it's not going to be as good as it used to be. Well, that's that's exactly my thinking. Um, uh, that's how I thought on Seinfeld. And because after a while, you're really in competition with with previous seasons. And you want to you want the standards to be the same. And, and um, it's sometimes kind of daunting. To think about it. Especially after you finish a season, you go, oh, how am I going to do another one? Um, how, can I, how can this one be as good as the last one? And so that, can, that really plays into it. Yeah, and it's not like you were doing nothing after you stopped doing. You, you went and wrote and starred in a, a hit Broadway show, Fish in the Dark. Um, I think I texted you over the summer a picture that I still have my Fish in the Dark um, T-shirt with a sold-out house from the from the night from previews on that you told me once that when you got near the end you were looking more forward to getting out of the show than you had been to getting out of the army. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, after a while, you just want uh, you don't. I don't like things scheduled 
at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I don't like knowing that I have to be at a certain place every single day of the week. Right. It drives you crazy. You know, sure. you'll be playing uh, golf, and all of a sudden it's three o'clock. You go, I, I, I got it. It's like Cinderella. You got to, you got to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, I remember we were playing golf one day, and it was like, oh shit, I've got a show to do. Yeah, and I, and I don't like saying the same things every night, the same lines night after night. That's one of the things about Curb that I love that I uh, we improvise it. I saw you t- uh, talking with Jimmy Kimmel, and and he apparently is going to be on. Um, uh, what other cameos this season can you tell us about? Um, <clears throat> let's see. Elizabeth Banks is is going to be on. Yep. Um, Lauren Graham will be on. She plays a uh, love interest. <laughs> oh, oh, you know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a word I would never use in my life, but only in an interview. <laughs> so Lauren Graham, Lauren Graham of the Gilmore Girls is yes. is. Is um is it a re- is it a recurring love interest? Yes, yes. Oh, a oh it is. Oh, she yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, that look at you. Well, that's you know that's that. I, when, could, I could do worse, right? No, I I just like the fact that you can you have the power with the power of curb to just say, let's see, who do I want? Yeah, to like? <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> It's a form of it's it's a form of speed dating, but it's different. It's you you've made it work for you on television. Yeah, she was um, she was great. You know, my my literary agent um, represented her on her book and and just loved her to death. Said it's just one of the she's just one of the best people and one of the smartest people that uh, uh, that she's she's ever met from quote out out there. We're talking to Larry David on uh, the Mike Lupica podcast, Curb Your Enthusiasm, my favorite show of all time, returns on October 1st. And um, did you... W- w- yeah, she's, she's pretty terrific. And, I, and Brian Cranston is also on this year. He plays my therapist. <laughs> Does he really? Yeah. And, and is he is he going to be in more, in more than one episode? No, he's in, he's in one. Oh, my God. So, all right. So we got he, Kimmel he, Cranston, Lauren Graham, yeah. Elizabeth Banks. Uh, that's even Weber. Oh, he's great. Um, oh, my God. I love him. Wait, let me let me think. I'm leaving out a lot of people and they're going to be upset. That's OK. Let me see. Uh, I, I can't think of any more right now. You can reach Mike Lubica on Twitter at capital M-I-K-E, capital L-U-P-I-C-A. Larry David does not appear to be on Twitter. And you can find the Mike Lubick podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and no doubt other places. Right? Right. Next up tonight, congratulations with Chris D'Elia. It also has a brief description. It says comedian and actor Chris D'Elia sits down every week to talk about what's on his mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, this is from April 16th of 2019. On the post, it says, On today's show, Chris responds to the local Albuquerque news covering his reaction from last week. Also discussed, Coachella, Star Wars, Scarface, and Grandma Carmella. And we're back to Los Angeles for misconnections this week. Some of the best yet. This clip features some of the Albuquerque portion of what was in the description. I never thought I'd go to war with a city. But I'm at war with a city, baby. I talked about Albuquerque on fucking Twitter. And they fucking... And then I... And guess what? Now they... And dude, they're back. Social media is shedding more light on his comments. Chris Delia performed earlier this another month. Another segment, Kimo- dude. Another segment. Another segment. Ah. Two segments. Two segments too many. I'm a correspondent at this point. Ah. Dude, they came back and did another segment. Last episode, I talked about Albuquerque, and they did a segment on me about how I quote-unquote bashed them. And this shit. Afterwards. By the way, they they said my name right in the first one. Shade. They didn't say it right in the second one. You know what it is? Social media is shedding more light on his comments. 
Chris Delia performed earlier this month at the Chemo Theater. Afterwards, he took to Twitter saying, quote, I've been to some blank holes, but holy blank, you make Jacksonville look like paradise. Okay, we already know this. Many New Mexicans criticized him on social media. Well, a couple days after our story aired, Delia responded to the outcry saying Delia. he couldn't believe the response. I was there for eight hours. They're playing my podcast on their fucking news segment. Weiss. I'm sure it's fine. How could you this is, get upset about somebody saying something this is last like episode. that? Now, he still hasn't revealed an exact reason for not liking guys, Albuquerque, but he did poke fun at Chemo Theater's name. This is the best part. And said, our buildings are short. Ah. Albuquerque, <laughs> but he did poke fun at Chemo Theater's name and said, our buildings are short. Dude, the newscaster said that. Ah. The newscaster said, I said that the buildings are short. I said you had to crouch down into them. Dude, what the fuck, man? Hey, man. By the way, there was another child shot. By the way, there was a murder. They murdered 70 people in Albuquerque. Unbelievable. Dude, prop. Albuquerque's turning out to be my favorite fucking city in the U.S., dude. Just because of their fucking... They clap back. They have a clap back effect. I told my uh, buddy about this, and he was saying that, uh, uh, you know, because Aaron Paul shot... Aaron's a buddy of mine from uh, Breaking Bad, and that Aaron Paul shot... Uh, they shot Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad over in Albuquerque, and the reason why you know that is because anytime you step foot in Albuquerque, everything about Breaking Bad is plastered all over. <sighs> so uh, he said something about Albuquerque that wasn't favorable one time, and they made a whole segment about him, so it made me feel less special. So that's that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. But they're making a big fucking deal about it, and that's hilarious to me, dude. So Albuquerque, shout out to you, dude. You're becoming my favorite city in the U.S. Just because of the segments, man. <laughs> this just in about Albuquerque. Uh, fucking James Woods is shooting a movie here, and he just said it was too cold. We check in to some locals here uh, to see about how they feel about James Woods saying that it's too cold. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just it's, it's it depends really what what um when you come the seasons are different and obviously it's going to be colder in january and february than it is going to be in um july you know maybe uh if he came in the summer uh it would have been um it would have been warmer but you know if he's going to come during the winter uh obviously it's going to be uh colder so i don't know maybe they should shoot uh, movies in the summer james woods was not available for comment but he's took to Twitter bashing liberals. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, dude. Anyway, I, I, I'm, I, you know, loving it. I don't know. Whatever. They, they mispronounced my name on the second segment, but on the first segment, they got it right. Hey, Alb hey Albuquerque. Um, so, whatever. You can reach out to host Chris D'Elia on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-D-E-L-I-A. All lowercase. And you can reach out to the show, also all lowercase, on Twitter at C-O-N-G-R-A-T-S-P-O-D. Tweet your questions and spread the love using the hashtag uh, CongratulationsPod. That is C-O-N-G-R-A-T-U-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-D on Twitter and everywhere else. And the show's website is listed as www.congratulationspod.com. And the last of our clips tonight... The New Yorker Radio Hour, from WNYC. Its description reads, David Remnick is joined by the New Yorker's award-winning writers, editors, and artists to present a weekly mix of profiles, storytelling, and insightful conversations about the issues that matter, plus an occasional blast of comic genius from the magazine's legendary Shouts and Murmurs page. The New Yorker has set a standard in journalism for generations, and the New Yorker Radio Hour gives it a voice on public radio for the first time. Produced by the New Yorker and WNYC Studios. It goes on to say, WNYC Studios is a listener-supported producer of other leading podcasts, including Radiolab, On the Media, Snap Judgment, Death, Sex, and Money, unless there's one called Death and another one called Sex and Money, it's the way it's printed here, 
Here's the thing with Alan Baldwin, Nancy, and many more. There's one just called Nancy. All right, interesting. I might have to look up some of these other ones on WNYC. Anyway, the clip is from November 23rd to 2018. I managed to find a podcast appearance of another one of my favorite uh, comedic personalities, who I also enjoyed recently on the Norm MacDonald show. Uh, it really wasn't that recently. In fact, it might have even been before November 23rd, 2018. Yes, actually, I believe it was. Oh, yes, it very definitely was. Okay, sorry. little trip down memory lane with me. Thank you for indulging me, folks. Anyway, this episode of the New York Radio Hour is called Jim Carrey Doesn't Exist. And in parentheses, it says, according to Jim Carrey. So here's one of those with a really entertaining full description. I don't know how else to put it, but here's how it goes. As a young boy, Jim Carrey got in trouble for staring in the mirror. He didn't do it because he was vain. He was practicing the comic skills that made him one of the great impressionists of our time. A man whose face seems to be made of some pliable alien material. Yet that malleable face is as capable of portraying deep and complex emotion as it is of making us laugh. As a result, Carrey's career has been one reinvention after another. These days, he's been lighting up Twitter as a political cartoonist. His way of drawing Donald Trump is particularly grotesque. And starring in the television series, Kidding. He plays a children's entertainer in the mold of Mr. Rogers, who is struggling with the death of his own son. Carey sat down with Colin Stokes at the New Yorker Festival in October 2018. He spoke about his reverence for Fred Rogers and the inspiration he takes from Eastern philosophy. Quote, I don't exist, unquote, Carey says. Quote, there's no separation between you and me at all. I know I'm sounding really crazy right now, but it's really true, unquote. And the clip begins with some of the same information that the description begins with, but varies after that. So please bear with it. If we could have a look at um, a clip of you on uh, Johnny Carson when you were 21 oh on Thanksgiving God. Day. God help me. This young man is a young impressionist from Toronto and a little bit different. And he's going to be starring in a new series for NBC this January called The Duck Factory. He's also been in Hollywood about, about 10 months and created quite a bit of excitement. This is his first appearance on American television. Would you welcome Jim Carrey? Jim. Hello. My name is Jim Carrey. I'd like to do some impressions for you tonight. If you'll just give me a minute. Um, that think... was before content. <laughs> That's Jim Carrey, BC. It's still so it's on before you... content. <laughs> Available on YouTube, though. I, I think the first time I watched that, I don't understand how the fuck you do that. <laughs> um, and so, apologies for swearing. Sorry, uh, that won't happen again. I guess I was curious about the exact like mechanics of how you would build. Those. So did you have a, a point where you started? Like you saw one expression, or when I was a child, I got in trouble all the time for staring at myself in the mirror. And it wasn't that I was vain; it was just that I liked to manipulate my face and see if I could come up with uh, the Phantom of the Opera and whatever. And you know. Uh, you know, my, my mother would say things like, if you don't stop looking in that mirror, you're going to see the devil. And uh, so I was like, shonk, <laughs> lighting some candles and stuff and going, you know. so, uh, you know, and it's, and it evolved into seeing faces when I do that and seeing people's faces I recognized. And then it became an organic thing, which is, you know, kind of the way the acting and everything panned out. Because uh, I would go into movies like on Golden Pond, and I'd come out, and I was Henry Fonda. And it was because of the feeling, the feeling of love for his wife and his feelings of loss and terror of death and all those things. I walked out of the theater with that because it was such, it's so tangible and such a lovely performance. One of my favorite actors ever. And... Um, and I had the feeling inside that strawberries. <laughs> I went a little ways in the woods. <laughs> Couldn't remember a thing. Not one damn tree. <laughs> but it came out that way, you know? I, it, it, it makes me wonder, actually. So do you still, like... 
work on new ones? Do you add to your repertoire, or is that basically like done at this point? Yeah, I don't have a great uh, desire, but if I'm on Saturday Night Live or something like that, that's the wondrous part about that kind of stuff is that I can employ that talent, which I don't generally get to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's been that way for me. It's been a growth uh, situation where. I get to a certain point where people go, oh my God, you're really great. That's what you are. And I go, nope. <laughs> I'm something different. <laughs> and, and because I want to constantly be, you know, uh, fashioning new limbs to this uh, avatar, you know. And, uh, and I want to constantly be growing. So what happens is I generally, I, I get a lull in popularity and a little bit I kind of go away and I learn a new swing. And this time I learned how to paint and I learned how to sculpt. And I became a political cartoonist for some reason just because I'm like the Henry Fonda movie. I feel the feelings and that's the only way that I can deal with them is to turn them into something positive. So, this, I was going to ask, the first uh, show that you were in was uh, called uh, The Duck Factory. Oh, good. Yes. I thought you were going to say a couple of wet t-shirt contests <laughs> that I want you to bring. No. Um, in which you played a, an aspiring animation artist, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's uh, right. I came to town about a year in. Uh, <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was on this show called The Duck Factory, and everybody was like, oh, my God, you're done, you're made. It's between Cheers and Hill Street Blues. It's the greatest slot that anyone could ever have. Thursday, Thursday night, I mean, it's ridiculous, prime time, everything. Only the people that hired me had no idea that I was funny. So they just wanted a nice guy, and they didn't let me do anything funny when the 13 episodes. So it kind of went off pretty quick. And as soon as I got the show, I called mom and dad, and... <clears throat> And I said, I made it. Come on down. Come on and live with me and stuff. And they came down to Hollywood and we lived in the valley together. And uh, after a while, uh, it appeared the show wasn't going to (laughs) go. And I ran out of money and I went bankrupt. And not officially bankrupt, but I lost all my money. And uh, I was tasked with the difficult... moment of having to say to my parents, you got to go back. I got no money. And that was a horrifying time uh, in my life, like a very painful moment in my life. And uh, I can't even tell you all the reasons why. But, uh, you know, those are the things that become your palette. They become your colors, you know. And, uh, and I tried anyway. And then they went back to Canada because of the hospitalization and everything my mother was taking care of. So um, I still took care of them up here, but I didn't have to worry about the medical issues. And isn't that interesting and prescient? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? You can reach out to the New York Radio Hour on Twitter at New Yorker Radio. That's capital N E W, capital Y O R K E R, capital R A D I O. Interviewer Colin Stokes can be reached at capital C-O-L-I-N, capital J, capital S-T-O-K-E-S. Jim Carrey can be reached at capital J-I-M, capital C-A-R-R-E-Y. The New Yorker can be reached at all lowercase N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-E-R. And WNYC Studios can be reached at all caps W-N-Y-C-S and then lowercase T-U-D-I-O-S. Or you can go to www.wnyc.com. W-N-Y-C-S-T-U-D-I-O-S dot org forward slash podcasts. And finally tonight, we end with our second burst of durst from April 19th, 2019, entitled Report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's Investigation, in which our intrepid correspondent offers up a few opinions on the report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's Investigation. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words about the release of the 448-page report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, which turns out to be as different from Attorney General William Barr's four-page summary of the report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, as baby salamanders are from nuclear-powered submarines. It was hard to hear the official lapdog Barr's yapping misdirection before the public unveiling of the heavily redacted report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation due to the clicking of his toenails on the linoleum. The drool was also distracting. 
a less redacted version of the report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, will become available to a limited number of members of Congress. Apparently, the goal is to give each and every American citizen our own version of the report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, with individual redactions. Here's hoping mine has orange highlights to go with the black bars. Bars, bars. The Attorney General proclaimed the report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation exonerated the President totally, and he mentioned no collusion like 70 times, when Ashley, the report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, says, and this is a direct quote, If we had confidence, after a thorough investigation of the facts, that the President clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state. In other words, if they thought he didn't do it, they'd tell you. But they're not saying that, which might lead a normal person to conclude that maybe the opposite is true. The report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation goes on to cite 10 examples of Trump obstructing justice. The problem is, a rule in the justice system says that you can't indict or prosecute a sitting president. But the report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation goes on to say that Congress could do that or just wait till he's not president anymore. It's almost like the report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation is proposing one or the other. Hey, how about both? For Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, I'm Will Durst. The report from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. You can find Will Durst on Twitter at W-I-L-L-D-U-R-S-T. You can go to willdurst.com for the Will Durst Journal, which is comedy for people who read or know someone who does. And you can also visit his fan page on Facebook. And again, that's Wilders, W-I-L-L-D-U-R-S-T. Right? Right. And with that, the show is pretty much done. My child is sleeping, comfortably, thankfully. There only remains for me to thank you for making us your destination listening for however long this episode turns out to be. I can't emphasize more the gratitude I feel every time you decide to make the decision to listen. If you could do this show a solid and leave us a review on iTunes, it would really help us out. It's another type of word of mouth that is apparently very effective in helping us grow our audience and eventually perhaps landing us a real sponsor. When you tell others about us, you show us love in that particular fashion. And that is what we mean when we gently implore you to please pass the succotash. You've been listening to Succotash Clips, the comedy soundcast soundcast with your host, Tyson Saner. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on Donder, on Blitzen, on iHeartRadio, and on... <laughs> the Laughable App. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at TysonSainer at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our toll call number 818-921-7212 You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us by using our direct upload link at hightail.com slash you slash Succotash Production of Succotash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito hosted by Tyson Sainer Our executive producer is Mark Hershon Our musical director is Scott Carvey Our booth assistant is Kenny Durgis until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotash. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>